Hi, my name is Jonathan McMeans. I'm one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church. Want to let you know that it is our desire to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do this is by posting weekly content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. We have a podcast. And I wanted to let you know, if this is the first time that you found us, we would love to know that you were here. You could let us know by going to heightschurch.org connect and filling out our digital connect card. Again, I'm so glad that you found us and God bless. And if you have a Bible with you, I'm gonna invite you to turn to Revelation chapter three, uh, whether you've got one you're going to open uh, or a mobile app there, Revelation three, we're gonna pick up in verse seven. I'm gonna ask you at the end of the message today uh, to answer a very specific question. Uh, so you may want to jot this down in the in the notes on your uh, phone app or just, you know, use that welcome card and you can write there in the prayer request box if you'd like to or another little scrap sheet of paper you've got. Here's a question I'm going to ask you at the end of our sermon that I want you to answer. And it's this, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? All right, I'm going to ask you that at the very end to answer that question. Lord, what are you saying to me right now? And so as we move through this message today, I want you just to kind of keep that question going in your mind. Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Right? Lord, what are you saying to me right now? We've been in this series called Flickering Lamps. And, and as we've been moving through the churches in Revelation, we've been seeing uh, a pattern that the lamp that is us, we are the light of the world as Christians, those that burn bright are those that are focused on Jesus love Jesus, and are obeying Jesus, all right? So if you're focused on Christ, I'm worshiping Christ, I'm obeying Christ, now my light is shining. But when I stop focusing on Jesus, I stop loving Jesus first in my life, and I stop obeying Jesus, now my light begins to flicker. And so we say, hey, as people of light, we don't want to flicker, right? We want to shine brightly, and so this morning, as we come into the church of Philadelphia, you're going to see a church that in all case and points, uh, the, Jesus is saying, great job. I mean, if you've been with us in the series, you've kind of noticed a pattern where Jesus is saying, hey, good job here. Uh, guys, we, we really got to work on some things here, uh, and I'm going to call you to repent. I'm going to call you to obey. But when you come to the church of Philadelphia, right here, you, you see a church that Jesus is saying, look, you guys are doing great. This is only one of the two churches of the seven that there's nothing pointed out wrong, that there's no repentance called for. There's no correction that Jesus is saying uh, that you've got to have right now in your church. And so let's just kind of take a step back and, and think about this question as we come into the church of Philadelphia, because I think all of us would want Jesus to look at us as believers and go, great job, right? <laughs> you know? I think we would all want a good job from Jesus. So what in life is success? You know, just think about that question for a second. If you're at a job interview or maybe, you know, you're a student, you're about to go into college and you're interviewing with somebody at the college or something, they just looked at you and said, hey, you know what, how do you define success in your life? You know, what, what, would, you, what would you think? What are some words or phrases that are going to come into your mind? Somebody says, well, what's success? You know, some people might say, well, success is learning a new skill, or success is setting a goal and achieving it. You know, success is being loved and loving someone else. Yeah, great definitions of success. 
What about success in church? How would we describe that? You know, what, what would you say as success when it comes to church? Like if, you know, you're out and about and you're at Kroger or, or you know, at uh, Chick-fil-A or Popeye's because I like the Popeye's chicken sandwich better than a Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? I stirred some controversy on Facebook yesterday like I like to do. But if you're in one of those places eating a chicken sandwich and someone comes up to you and you got a love and lead shirt on, they go, hey, man, you're at Heights Baptist Church. Is that a good church? Is that a successful church? How would you define that? You know, historically, when we talk about success in church, you look at three Bs. Bodies, right? All right, so is your attendance going up from last year to this year? Baptisms, are your baptism numbers better this year than last year? Budget, are your people given to the budget? Is your budget going up, right? So we can look at bodies and baptisms and budgets and say, hey, here's how we define success in a church. But how does God define success? Isn't that the real question? How, how does God define success in our lives and life of a church? I want you to meet the Church of Philadelphia. When you come into verse 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes. Philadelphia, that term means brotherly love. Uh, the city of Philadelphia is 25 miles southwest of Smyrna. So it is in modern-day Turkey at that point, the province of Asia, under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire. Philadelphia is a small city, and the reason why is because in 17 AD, uh, they had a massive earthquake that utterly just destroyed the city. Now, it's rebuilt by the emperor Tiberius, so they're very loyal to the Roman Empire, but as people that live on a fault line, they're like, you know what, real estate's not great here, the market's not doing well, and a lot of people moved out. But what you're going to see with the Church of Philadelphia is something I think really important in your life, my life, life of the church. That's why I ask you that question at the very beginning. I'm going to ask you to answer at the end. What is God saying to me right now? Because here you're going to look and you're going to see a church that by God's definition was successful. That Christians by God's definition was successful. So let's look at what success looks like. First, we need to make sure we see the true Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to rightly see him. That's success. Look in verse 7. It says, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So we must see Jesus for who he is. Now notice there's three descriptions of Jesus in verse 7. It says, First, the words of the Holy One. All right, in the Old Testament, the title Holy One was ascribed to God. All right, so in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, To whom then will you compare me, that I shall be like him, says the Holy One. So what then the New Testament authors do in the Gospels, the disciples, they apply that title to Jesus. And so here in the book of Revelation is the only time that title is used, but it's referencing Jesus as the one true God. He is the Holy One. He is the Perfect One. But notice also the second title of him, he is the true one. All right, so verse 7, these are the words of the Holy One. All right, so if these are his words, we need to pay attention to him. We need to ask ourselves, what are you calling me to do? What do I need to change? How do I need to obey you? Because these are your words. But notice he is the true one. He's the true one. So that is a truth claim that's being made right there, where it's saying Jesus is the one true God that all other gods are false gods. 
And there's only one God, and it is God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Christ who says, this is the one true God. I am the God in the flesh. So all other gods are false. Now, some of you may push back on me on that. You go, oh, hang on one second. Huh? That, that, that can't be because all gods are true. All gods, you know, all paths lead to heaven. You know, and there's a lot of people. Some of you may think that today. Look, all you got to do is pick a path. All you got to do is pick a God because all paths lead to, to heaven. All, all gods are the same. Like I hear sometimes Christians saying that, like all gods are the same. Well, actually, they're not. Christianity is very distinct from all other religions. We're, we're not all the same. Not all gods are the same. There's got to be only one true God, and that's the God of the Bible. Let me give you some examples of how Christianity stands out from all other religions. First this, every other religion teaches you that you have to earn your way to God. All right? So every other religion teaches you you have to reach up in order to get to God. Here's what makes Christianity distinct. Christianity teaches you it's not about earning your way and reaching up to get God. It's about God reaching down to pick us up. It's not us reaching up. It's God reaching down. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God reached down. Even in your sin, before you loved him, he loved you. So that, that shows you right there, Christianity is distinct from all other religions. How about this? Every other religion has a system of rules to keep to make God happy. Okay, So every other religion is going to say, hey, I've got to do good things in order to make God happy. All right? So if I do all kinds of good things, God's going to smile down on me because I've been really good. All right? I, I stayed off the naughty list, and I was on the nice list, okay? All right? I let that person merge in front of me in Houston traffic. Man, that's got to make a God smile somewhere, right? Like, I mean, like, God, look at all the good things that I have done. I even let somebody go in front of me at the grocery store when they only had, like, two items, and I had a bunch of items. I had 25 items in the, you know, 15 checkout line. Doesn't that make you mad? Man, those people, I don't know about them, right? I don't know if God really loves them or not. Now, that was a joke. That was fine, okay? Yeah. Every other religion, I've got to do good things to make God happy. Christianity, God says, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I've saved you. Just come here. I'm going to hug you, right? And it's not about you trying to do all these good things to make me happy. It's about this relationship I have with you as my child. How about this? Every other religion has a God who died. And guess what? They're still in that grave. Christianity is the only distinct one whose God died. And guess what? Three days later, say it, guys, rose again. Amen, right? Amen. Right there is that fundamental truth that we're the only ones whose God came back to life. And so Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is the True One. But notice also Jesus has the key of David 
verse 7 says, the key of David. And so this is an Old Testament reference where essentially it was David as the king who said, you can come into my presence or you can't come into my presence. I'm the one that decides as the king who holds the entrance to me. So this is pointing you to Christ. It's Jesus who says, you can come into heaven or you can't come into heaven. It's only Jesus who determines who comes in or who stays out of heaven. That's why he said in John chapter 10, verse 9 this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So Christ says, hey, you want to come to me? You want to be in heaven? I'm the door. I have the key. I'm the entrance in. And that's the only way in. So to be successful in our Christian life, be successful as a church, Jesus is saying, look, you've you got to rightly see him. But I want you to notice, secondly, what we learned from the church of Philadelphia, it's this, it's to stay on mission. You know, success is to be faithful in our mission. Look in verse 8. He says, I know your works. Behold, I set before you an open door, which one is able, no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. All right, so he said we need to see Jesus for who he is. We need to stay faithful on mission. You know what's interesting about the Church of Philadelphia and Heights Baptist Church? Is we have a lot in common with them. And we have a lot in common with the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia and us, we, we got a lot of things in common. Now you might say, well, hang on one second. How does this church... You know, 2,000 some years ago, in modern day Turkey, who, you know, people look different, speak a different language. Uh, clearly, they, you know, they go for the Phillies. We go for the Astros. How, how do we have things in common with them, us being Astros fans and them being from Philadelphia and Phillies fans? I mean, this, this doesn't make any sense that we would have anything in common at Heights Baptist Church today with the church in the Bible in Philadelphia. You know what we have in common with them? It's this right here. They have the same mission that we have. It's the exact same mission. See, the mission they were on was given, to Jesus, given by Jesus to them that extends to us, that originates from Matthew chapter 28. Make disciples. Let's go make disciples of all people everywhere. Teach them to obey Jesus. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, that mission exists always for the church until Christ comes back. So the mission of Philadelphia is the same mission of Heights Baptist Church. Go make disciples. We express it that way. We want to love people and lead them to the new life that Jesus gives them. It's the same mission. So stay faithful with it. And Jesus says in verse 8, he's like, look, I, I've got opportunities for you, Philadelphia. I've got opportunities for you, Heights Baptist Church. I've opened a door for you that no one is able to shut. All right, so that open door that no one's able to shut are your evangelistic opportunities. They're your missional opportunities. They're the opportunities that we have as a church, just as they had them, to get the gospel out to more and more people. Now, you might think, well, well hang on one second. Are there really a lot of opportunities around our area to get the gospel out to people. I mean, I mean, honestly, take a step back, Lee. That, that may be pushing it. I mean, sure, there's opportunities in other countries and that, but this is America, and we're all Christians, right? I mean, this is Texas. We're all Christians. This is the South. 
we're all Christians. This is the Bible Belt. This is Alvin. We grew up here. Aren't everybody Christians around here? Don't, do we really have a lot of opportunities to get the gospel out? Well, do you know research shows in the Alvin, Iowa colony in Manville area, just in those three areas, 58 to 60% of people don't go to church anywhere. You just stop and think about that. In Alvin, Iowa colony, Manville, 60% of people don't go to church anywhere. That's not, they don't go to a Bible-believing church. They don't even go to a church that doesn't preach the Bible, right? Don't go anywhere. So, so these are people you work with, these are people you shop with, these are people you go to school with. They're all around. 60% of people in an area that we can aim at getting the gospel to, Alvin, Iowa, Colleen, Mamble, don't go to church anywhere. So then that way as a church, we need to start saying, hey, how, how do we... How do maybe we start a church in Manville? How do we start a church in Iowa College? How do we start another church maybe in the other side of Alvin where growth is? How do we go to people where they are? Right? How about a Hispanic ministry? Well, if we started one of those, because 48% of the population in those three areas are Hispanic. So how do we get the gospel out to more and more people? Look at all these opportunities that we have around us to share the gospel. Now, I know what you're thinking, because the church of Philadelphia thought the same thing. And Jesus even pointed out, he says, I know that you have but little power. And sometimes when you talk about those things and opportunities in church, somebody goes, raise your hand and say, wait a minute, we don't have enough resources. We, we, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We have little power. You know, what's interesting about this when you study it out, what Jesus does is he's really kind of flipping it on the church of Philadelphia, and he's, he's flipping that statement on us as well. Because what Jesus is reminding us of is this would have been a culture that would have looked at the church in Philadelphia and said, but you have little power. You're not a big church. You're not a wealthy church. You don't have any influence in the town. You're, you're of a little power, Church of Philadelphia. And this morning, you might feel that way. I, I got little power. I, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, I, I, there, there's no way I could do any of those things. I, I can't be a witness for Jesus. I have but little power. Sometimes that's the world's view of us, but you know, God's view of us is totally different. I, I love the saying by Mark Twain. He said this, it's not about the size of the dog and the fight, but it's about the size of the fight and the dog. And you know what biblical Christianity teaches? It's not about us externally and all the things we may or may not have. It's about who God deposited in us. So he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Jesus is saying, church, yeah, everybody else may look at you and say, man, you've got little power. But you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're powerful in God's eyes because of who lives in you. Just like the choir saying, man, let that lion roar within you, right? Let the Holy Spirit just take over in your life and in our church, and let's get the gospel out to more and more people. Now, be careful with that, because you need to know something. We need to be reminded of this, even when we want to be Christians that keep Jesus in front of us and rightly see him and take advantage of all the evangelistic opportunities we have. You need to be reminded of verse 9. 
It says, Behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I'll make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. There was a group in town that were Jews that basically were telling the Christians, you can't worship in the synagogue. You can't, you can't come in here. You're not Jews. You're not people that, uh, of God's kingdom, right? You're not in the kingdom of God. You're not going to heaven because you're not Jews. Those are the synagogue of Satan. Jesus is saying this. He's saying there's coming a time where they're going to bow at your feet, right? And I think that time he's talking about is Philippians 2, uh, 10 and 11, where every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess on he on, on, in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, that Christ Jesus is our Lord. Why are they bowing at our feet? We're not bowing at our feet necessarily. We're bowing at the feet of Jesus. But what are we doing? We as believers in Jesus, we're, we're ruling and reigning with him in the millennial reign. And so Jesus is saying this, there's coming a time where I'm bringing justice. There's coming a time I'm vindicating my name. There's coming a time I'm bringing justice to you as Christians. Because it's not always easy. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hard times. Stay faithful. So, church, don't be surprised when the opposition comes. When you share the gospel with the family member... Don't be surprised at the opposition at times. When the coworker gets ugly with you, don't let it catch you off guard. When the person on Facebook is nasty to you in the comments, don't let it catch you off guard. Why? Because lost people that don't know Jesus often act like lost people that don't know Jesus. Okay? What should shock us as believers is not an unbelieving world that pushes back and attacks Christianity. That should not shock us as believers. What should shock us as believers in Jesus Christ is when believers in Jesus Christ do not act like believers in Jesus Christ. That's the most shocking thing. It's not when an unbelieving world pushes back on us. The most shocking thing for us is, wait a minute, you say you're a believer in Jesus, but you're not acting that way? Whoa, what's going on? So here's what you and I do. In a world that will push us, in a world that will attack us, in a world that calls us names, in a world that will be mean and vicious and do all kinds of things, listen, it's not your fight. Right? You don't have to fire back on the Facebook comment. You don't have to launch the tweet. You don't have to be ugly back. That's not your battle. How many of you grew up singing the hymn, the battle belongs to who? The Lord. Right? What has the Lord called us to do? Attack the culture? No. Make everybody our enemy? No. What has he called us to do? Stay faithful. Stay on mission. Love people. Turn the other cheek. Share the gospel, and hey, newsflash, let God be God. Because what does he say? I'm bringing the justice. Not you, Church of Philadelphia. Not you, Christians. I'm going to make them bow down before you. It's his fight. Let him fight it. 
Let him win it. In the meantime, you keep loving people. You keep sharing the good news of Jesus with people and let God do the part that God's going to do. But what you and I can hold to this morning and find encouragement is, is there's a day of justice coming when the Lord brings it. So you and I need to stay faithful to our evangelistic opportunities. But finally, you and I just hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to the promises of God. I mean, that's, that's success. And say, I'm going to see you rightly, Jesus. I'm going to stay on mission no matter the cost, even when it's hard. But I'm just going to hold on to your promises. I want you to pick up in verse 10. He says, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven in my own new name. Now, I want you to notice there's several promises that Jesus is saying to you. And he's saying, listen, stay on mission. Keep worshiping Christ. Stay focused. It's going to be hard at times. Right? People are going to be nasty and mean. You're going to go through suffering. All those things are going to happen. But stay the course. Because as we've seen, that word overcomer used over and over when it describes the churches is the overcomer is the one who finishes. Right? So the mark of salvation in the Christian's life is not when you just prayed a prayer to receive Jesus, but are you walking with Christ? Did you finish with Christ? All right? You've overcome and you now are finishing with Jesus. So Jesus is saying, those that are patiently enduring, those that are overcoming, those that are walking with me, here's some promises I'm laying down to you. Right? Now, I know when we read promises in the Bible, sometimes that's hard to receive. Right? And it's hard to receive because people break promises all the time. Some of you had a promise broken to you this week. It was a friend that broke a promise. A coach, a teacher, a spouse. Somebody broke a promise to you. And so when you hear about the promises of God, sometimes you push back and you're like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I've been burned that way. And somebody's broken promises to me. But understand, God is different than us. Right? He's holy. He keeps his promises. So here's the promises that he has for you. He has for me. He had for the church of Philadelphia as we keep patiently enduring and following him. Notice the first one. He says in verse 10, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So the hour of trial in verse 10, that's going to be the tribulation period. All right. So that's the seven-year tribulation period. You're going to read from Revelation chapters 6 through 19. That's that seven-year period, the prophecy of Daniel's 70th week. All right. That's coming in the very near future. So he says, I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. Now, the whole world there, that's talking about the unbelievers of the time that God's going to be judging through that seven-year tribulation period. Now, here's how we need to read verse 10. Verse 10, you can read it through a pre-tribulation kind of rapture viewpoint. All right, so for some of you new into church, pre-tribulation means this. You're raptured out as a Christian. God calls us up to heaven uh, before the seven-year tribulation period. 
All right, so that's pre-tribulation. Post-tribulation, you can also read it from a post-tribulation viewpoint in verse 10. Post-tribulation is this. We as Christians go through the seven-year period. Then God calls us up, raptures us, Christ comes back. That starts the millennial kingdom. So you can read verse 10 pre. You can read verse 10 post. Here's the key to verse 10. Here's what you need to walk away with. That no matter whether he calls us up, no matter whether we walk through it, no matter what happens to us physically, nothing will happen to us spiritually. The church goes on, the gospel gets out, Jesus wins, right? That's verse 10. <laughs> so you can spend time over lunch today debating with your wife over the PB&J sandwich, all right? Are you pre, are you post? And verse 10, like it might get a little heated at point. She's like, you got to go watch the Texans game in the other room. And you're thinking they're going to lose anyway. So I'll just kind of hang out with you and watch the Hallmark story or whatever it is. All right. But here's how the debate ends. The church survives. The church goes on. The gospel goes out. Jesus wins. Amen. So that's the first promise. First promise, I'm going to keep you. I've got you. Second promise, he's coming soon. All right, we talked about this this morning. Verse 11, he says, I'm coming soon. So hold fast what you have. Stay patient. Keep enduring. Don't quit. Keep going. I'm coming soon. When's he coming? I don't know, soon. Right? Is that next week? I don't know, soon. Yeah. Is it? thousand years from now? I don't know. It's soon. Yeah. If you ever hear a preacher put a date on this, you need to run, right? Because they're going to be wrong. <laughs> Here, here's how I explain Christ coming back. Whenever I was driving with my grandma as a kid and we were on a trip, I asked the question every child asks. How much longer? We're almost there yet. We're almost there yet. We're almost there yet. Here's how my grandmother would answer me all the time. We are five minutes closer than the last five minutes you asked me. Five minutes closer than the last five minutes you asked me. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know what. Yesterday was Saturday. Today's Sunday. We're one day closer to Jesus coming back than we were yesterday. And if we have a Monday tomorrow... <laughs> Then guess what? Come Monday, we're one day closer than we were today. Then Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. Be ready. Stay patient. Keep enduring. But let me give you the third promise. He says, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. I, I love verse 12. I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. This was an area prone to earthquakes. These were people who lived on a fault line. These were people whose homes and cities were destroyed in 17 AD. They understood earthquakes. They understood the ground shaking. But what's just amazing to me is when you look at sometimes ancient cities and the ruins that have been found, is what's still remaining in their structures. It's often the pillars. The pillars are still there. You know, the buildings collapsed, everything collapsed around them, but there's these gigantic pillars still in place. 
And what Jesus is saying is this. In heaven, you're a pillar. You're there. Now, I know when we read Revelation 21, 22, it says this. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. Here's the imagery Christ has given you. He says to be a pillar of Christ puts the believer in Jesus in a position of security now and forever. That's what it means to be a pillar in, in, of Christ. You're in a position of security now and forever. He says there's some new names that are going to be written on you. The new name of Jesus shows identification and ownership. This is Jesus saying, stay faithful to me as I am faithful to you because you are a pillar in my temple. You are always with me. I always have you. So what does success look like? What's success in life? What's success in church? You know, this, this uh, video was going around this week, and uh, I grabbed a screen grab picture of it. I think we've got it on the screen. It's, um, it's of Mattress Mac. And Mattress Mac, if you know, uh, won $75 million by placing a bet down on the Astros that they were going to win the World Series. Well, he hopped on his jet on Thursday and started flying around the country to casinos that he placed the belt on. And that's him right there wheeling out $10 million in cash. Like, that gives a whole new meaning to a wheelbarrow full of cash, right? I mean, like, so he just hopped from casinos to casinos, and he was wheelbarrowing in all his cash, $75 million. You might look at that and go, man, that's success, right? That, that's, a, that's success right there in, in life. Maybe you look at a church and say, wow, success is going to be in their attendance. Success is going to be in their budget. Success is going to be in their baptisms. Let me show what God says about success in life. It's right here. We're going to end. He says success in life is being faithful to him. That's what it is. It's all he's calling you to do. Be faithful to him. You know what success in life in a church is? Being faithful to God. It's doing what God calls us to do. So success in life, being faithful to God. Success in a church, being faithful to God. So I'm going to bring you back to that question I asked you at the very, very beginning, and we're going to answer it right now. What is God calling you to do today? What is God saying to you right now? Maybe for some of you it is, you need to come to me in salvation. You need to trust my son Jesus for the forgiveness and salvation of your sin. Maybe for some of you it's to be baptized. You, you have made that profession of faith, but, but you can't move in that definition of success because he's saying, hey, you need to get baptized as a believer in Christ, and that's a, a matter of obedience. Maybe today it's to say, you need to serve in a ministry. God's calling you to serve in some way. What's God calling you to do today? What is he saying to you, and how are you going to respond? Let's pray together. I want to thank you for watching today's message. And I just want to ask you one simple question as we close our time together today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? See, that, that's a very key question because I didn't just ask, do you know Jesus? But do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? My story is that I grew up going to church. I was in a house where going to church on a Sunday morning was not really an option. Uh, the joke in my house with my dad was, if I came to him and said, hey, dad, I don't want to go to church today, uh, he would look at me and say, well, do you want to eat lunch later? 
because we're going to eat lunch after church and all those that go to church get to eat lunch. And so I, I was brought in a home where I was at church all the time. I was, you know, one of those that went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school. Anytime the doors were open, my family was there. And so I grew up hearing about Jesus. I grew up knowing about Jesus, but it was at the age of 14, one night in my bedroom, that I realized I didn't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I've always been a Christian. I've always loved Jesus. And you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. Instead, the Bible teaches that you and I have to make a personal, conscious decision to follow Jesus in our lives. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that you have to be born again, that there has to be a time in your life where you said, yes, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask you that question again. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you made that decision in your life to follow him by faith? And so one night in my bedroom, like I said, it was in the month of August. I decided as a 14-year-old right then and there, I was going to be a believer in Jesus, and I placed my faith and trust in Him. And maybe right now where you are, you're ready today to say, I want to be a believer in Christ, to have my sins forgiven, to know that I can have a relationship with God now that lasts throughout all of eternity, so that when I die, I go to heaven to be with Him because I've trusted in what Christ has done for me. So I'm going to lead in a time of prayer. And if you're ready today, right where you are, to become a believer in Christ, you can pray along with me because God knows our hearts. And that's what's key in this. But you may not know how to form the words to say. So let me just form some words with you and just pray right now. Father God, I am ready to become a believer in Jesus. Right now today, I trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I confess my sin to you, and now I'm ready to follow Christ as the one who's forgiven me of my sin, dying on the cross for me, being raised from the grave to forgive me and give me new life. Thank you, God, for loving me. Friend, I want to just thank you. If you prayed with us today, we want to hear from you. You can let us know that by going to heightschurch.org connect. There's going to be a decision button right there on the website that you can fill out a very short form that's going to come right to me. And we would love to follow up with you, pray with you, help you just take your simple next steps of faith. And so thank you for watching. We would love to see you in person if you're in our area. Uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. are our life groups. 10.30 a.m. is our worship service. And so until we see each other again, God bless.